It's good to be with you this evening, and I'm glad that we have another opportunity to worship God together. Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5, the Bible says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and it repented the Lord in his heart that he had made man on the earth. It's easy to look at that passage and shudder to think of how bad things must have been in order to produce that kind of a reaction from our Heavenly Father. But then it's also easy to take a step back and look at the world in which we live and take the pulse of the current state of affairs, all of the wickedness and the sin that we see around us even today, and ask the question, what makes today so different from then? What has changed I want to suggest one, there are probably more than one, but let me suggest one very important answer to that question about what's different between then and now, and that is the church of Christ. The Bible tells us that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. And of course, we are familiar with Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, where The Apostle Paul talked about those who walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Paul talks about those who walk in darkness, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 to 14. We recognize that this is a very dark world. It's a very sin-sick world. There is wickedness all around. But in the midst of this world's wickedness stands the church of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 that the job of Christians is to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. The church of our Lord is a beacon of light and hope in the midst of a dark world. The church of our Lord has the responsibility of proclaiming the message of salvation through Jesus Christ and of announcing to the world that there is hope and that there is joy and there is peace and there is a way in which man can step away from the wickedness that plagues this world and can know what it is to have a relationship with God. The Bible tells us that God's eternal purpose is the establishment of the body of Christ as an entity in which man is at peace with his fellow man and that man is at peace with God. And the Bible tells us that God's desire is that those who are a part of that entity, if you will, those who are members of the body of Christ, that God's desire for us is to come out of the world and to live lives of holiness and sacrifice to his cause. The world is dark and full of wickedness, but within this dark and wicked world is this group of people known as the church of Jesus Christ who have been called out of the world in order to meet the divine purpose of God, in order to serve him, and in order to glorify him. I want us to think for a little while tonight about this call that we have as the church to come out of the world, the the, the fact that the church is the called out, what that means and what that implies. Let's talk first about the call to holiness. 
When we say that the church is that body of people who have been called out of the world, what we're talking about by the, the idea of being called out by its very definition is the idea of being different, being sanctified, being set apart. And in your Bibles, there is a word that describes the idea of being sanctified or being different or being set apart, and that, of course, is the word holy or holiness. When Isaiah saw the throne room scene in uh, Isaiah chapter 4, and he saw those crying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. The idea of God's holiness, of course, is that God is separate, that God is above and beyond. And God calls his people to pursue that same ideal. In fact, the call to come out of the world and to pursue holiness or God-likeness or separation or set-apartness is something that actually spans from creation even into the present day. Think about these passages. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 16, God told Adam as he was in the garden, of every tree in the garden you may freely eat except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of that tree you must not eat. You see, what that tells us is that Adam was given a standard. There was a rule by which Adam was to live. It is a standard that was intended to guide his behavior, to guide his actions. Noah, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 9, was a just man and perfect in his generations. Noah lived a life that was uh, one that was different from those who were around him. He lived a life of holiness and distinction and separation. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 and 45, the commandment to the children of Israel is this, I am the Lord your God who has brought you up out of the land of Egypt. You shall therefore be what? You shall therefore be holy for I am holy. And then we turn our attention to the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 and following, a passage we'll look at again later on in our study. This is the section where the Apostle Paul will ask this series of rhetorical questions. What fellowship hath light with uh, darkness? What fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What concord has Christ with Belial, or he that believes with an infidel? And then in verse number, uh, in verse number 17, He quotes the passage from the Old Testament that says this, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Do not touch the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. So then in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse number 1, Paul says, Therefore, having received these promises, dearly beloved, let us go on about the business of perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So this call to be holy, this call to be different, this call to be distinct and to be set apart and to be like our Father is not a call that is new. God's requirements for his people from creation have always been to live up to the standard which he has set. The aim, to be like our Father. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 for a moment and notice what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 beginning in verse 3 and reading down through verse 5. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, the Apostle Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, focus in closely on verse 4 and following. Notice what he says. Just as he chose us. Who's the us? That's us. That's the church. Just as he chose us in him, when did he make this choice? Before the foundation of the world. God chose the church in Christ Jesus before he ever said, let there be light. And what's the reason for the choosing? Look at the middle part of verse 4. That we should be holy and without blame before him. God's choice of us, God's choosing of the church before the foundation of the world in Christ Jesus is for the purpose of the church, that's Christians, that's you and me being able to stand before God, how? Holy and without blame. In love, having predestined us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. What is Paul telling us in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and following? Among other things, he's telling us this, that God's ideal, that God's will for us is to be holy and to stand before him in holiness. And second, verse number 5, that we have been adopted into the family of God by Jesus Christ. Now look at Ephesians 5 and verse 1. In Ephesians 5 and verse 1, after Paul telling us that God's will is our holiness, our standing before him holy and without blame, after him telling us that God has made us his children by adopting us into his family through Jesus Christ, he tells us in Ephesians 5 and verse 1 that we ought to bear the family resemblance. Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. You know how this goes. Someone says, you really look like your dad. You talk like your dad. You walk like your dad. I can see your father in you. That's the same idea. When Paul says, be imitators of God as dear children, in Ephesians 5 and verse number 1, what he's saying is learn to speak and walk and act like your father so that people, when they look at you, can see your father living in you. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Notice that God is the standard. God is the ideal. God-likeness is the goal. 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 13 to 16. The apostle Peter, after having described the greatness of our salvation in verse 3 through verse 12, now begins to describe the requirements of that great salvation. And the first thing that he does is he takes our minds back to the Old Testament book of Leviticus chapter 11, the passage we noted a moment ago, and he brings that command, he brings that uh, that concept uh, into the New Testament. He says, therefore... Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Notice that Paul uses a word, or Peter rather, uses a word in verse number 14 and that word is conforming. We see the same thing in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, don't we? I beseech you, he says, to uh, give your uh, bodies as a uh, a living sacrifice unto God because it's your uh, spiritual service. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
The best way that I can think to illustrate the idea of confirmation is uh, setting a mold or setting cement, if you will. You put the forms up, you put the shape up, and you let the uh, you you pour the cement or uh, the the plaster or the clay or whatever it might be, and you wait until it hardens, and then you remove the forms, and you have a a hardened material in the shape of the form. So when Paul says, don't be conformed to the world, he's saying, don't let the world shape you. Don't let the world dictate how you think. Don't let the world dictate how you act. Don't let the world be the, 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 that which produces your worldview, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Same thing in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter says, do not conform yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. In other words, do not allow your way of living to be shaped by the way that you used to live. Your past life, a life of sin, a life of worldliness. You've come out of the world, he says. So therefore, what do you need to do? Verse 15 and verse 16, you've got to pursue holiness. Our aim is to be like our Father in every way. Our aim is to think as God would have us to think. Our aim is to act as God would have us to act, to speak as he would have us to speak. Our aim is to love and to be gracious and to be merciful and to be long-suffering in the ways that God is gracious and merciful and long-suffering. He is our goal. He is our motto. Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, we have what really constitutes a purpose statement, I think, for the life of the New Testament Christian. Peter says this, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. We'll stop right there. We'll come back to the passage later. What does Peter say about who we are? He says, well, you're different. You are peculiar. You are chosen. You belong to God. So, while the world serves sin, we serve God. Romans 6, verse 12 to 14. While the world lives in darkness, we expose darkness for what it is. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 11. While the world follows its own direction, we follow the direction and the example of Christ Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 21. Now, how do we do it? Go back up to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 just for one point that will help us to, to see how we can meet this calling how we can meet this calling of being holy and being like our Father. Peter begins by saying this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope. Girding up the loins of your mind, of course, has, uh, has, uh, it contains an image that relates to the first century world. The clothing that they would wear, the long flowing garments. And there would be an occasion when someone would maybe want to do something that was physically demanding. And so they would have to reach down and they would have to roll up, fold up the, the robes that they were wearing and tie them around their waist. The idea is to get things that would impede their progress out of the way. So Peter takes that practice and he applies it now to the way that we think. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 that our actions and our words begin as thoughts. It is so important for us to guard our heart, Proverbs chapter 4. It is so important for us to think on things that are good and holy, Philippians 4 and verse number 8. And why is that the case? 
Because murderers don't just wake up one morning and decide, I want to be a murderer. Thieves don't just wake up one day and get the idea that being a thief sounds like a good way to live. No, what happens is that the seeds of immorality are planted within our minds and within our hearts, and those seeds are allowed to germinate, they're allowed to grow, they're allowed to eventually produce fruit, as we talked about this morning. So it is incredibly important that we, that we give a lot of attention to our minds, to the way that we think, to the information that we allow ourselves to dwell upon, to the information that we allow our minds to be exposed to. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 gives us a principle that is applicable here, I think, where the Apostle Paul makes the point, that the gospel of Christ has the ability to bring every thought into the captivity, uh, into the captivity of Christ. The image is, the, is that of a prisoner of war. And so it's our thoughts that have become prisoners of war to Jesus Christ, and they're being marched away, if you will. Listen, all of what we do begins with what we think. And so the Apostle Peter says that if we're going to live holy lives, the first thing that's going to have to happen is that we're going to have to get control of our mind. We're going to have to guard our hearts. We're going to have to remove those things from our mind that are worldly and that are wicked and replace them with that which is good. David said in Psalm 119 in verse 9, or he asked the question, Uh, How shall a young man cleanse his way? And the answer, by taking heed according to the word of God. But then in verse number 11, he said this, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Notice in two verses, we have a prescription for being clean and then staying that way. The psalmist says the way that our heart is cleansed is by adhering to what God's word says. But the way that our heart stays clean, the psalmist says, is by what? By hiding God's word in our hearts. It's like Psalm 1, the blessed man who walks not in the uh, uh, way of the ungodly or sits in the way of the sinner or stands in the... Boy, I got that all messed up, didn't I? Blessed is, blessed is the man who, who uh, walks not in the way of the ungodly or stands in the way of the sinner or sits in the seat of the scornful. But he says his delight is in the word of God, and what does he do? In that word or in that law, he meditates both day and night. Always remember that meditation has two parts. Number one, to meditate on God's word requires taking God's word and thinking about it and turning it over and over again in our minds. But then second, meditating on God's word, uh, it requires taking that which we're thinking about and then looking for ways in which to put it in action. So if we're meditating upon passages that have to do with kindness, we ought to look for opportunities to show kindness. If we're meditating on passages that tell us uh, what it is to love and to be a humble servant, then we ought to look for opportunities to love and to be uh, humble servants. Listen, if we're going to live holy lives, that's going to begin by getting control of the way that we think. And the way that we gain control of the way that we think is by removing the filthiness of the world from our minds and from our hearts and filling ourselves up with the word of God, with that which is good, with that which is wholesome, with that which is right and that which is true. And if we'll do that, then we'll be on our way to being like our Father to meeting this call to be holy, to be different, to be distinct, to be set apart. 
Now here's another point to consider. The church is the called out. As Christians, our purpose is to come out of the world and to be like our Father, to live lives of holiness. But go back to 1 Peter 2 verse 9. Because there's more to this. Listen, look at the last part of 1 Peter 2 verse 9. He says in the first part of the passage, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You see, the purpose of our calling is to bring glory and honor and praise to our God. God's will, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and following, his will for us to stand holy and without blame before him, having predestined us in love to be conformed to the image of his son and to be adopted into his family, verse 5, Paul will go on and say, is to the praise of the glory of his grace. The word praise literally means to speak well of or to praise someone for their high and their exalted status. And our job as the children of God, our privilege, we should say, as the children of God, is to praise and to glorify God with everything that we have. As a matter of fact, if you look at Ephesians 3 and verse 21, what we learn is that the church is the exclusive avenue through which God is glorified. Let God be glorified in the church, Paul says, Ephesians 3 and verse 21. But on an individual level, we present ourselves as living sacrifices, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And those sacrifices, when presented to God in an appropriate way, give him glory. They honor him. Maybe you remember the principles of sacrifice in the book of Leviticus. Well, the Bible will tell us that under the Old Testament law, whenever a person brought their sacrifice to God, it had to be of their own voluntary will. It had to be the best that they had, the first fruits of the herd. There were several principles that had to be met. But once those principles were met, what the Bible tells us is that that offering that the worshiper would bring would come up before God as a sweet-smelling savor. So our purpose is to come out of the world and to live lives of holiness that God may be glorified. We ought to think daily about how we could better glorify God with what we do. We ought to think daily about how we can better glorify God with what we say and with how we think. We ought to think daily about how we can better glorify God in a number of areas in our life which may seem to us to be mundane and we just go through them without thinking about it. How can I be the best employee that I can be so that as an employee I might glorify God with my work ethic? How can I glorify God as I raise my children? How can I glorify God as a husband? How can I glorify God whenever I sit down to do my taxes and know that there is this loophole that I could take that technically is cheating, but maybe I could do it and not get caught? There are all kinds of things that happen in our lives, everyday occurrences from our interactions with our friends and family and co-workers to people at the grocery store to the decisions that we have to make that have to do with integrity and honesty to the television shows and movies that we watch and the places that we go and even the friends with whom we choose to spend our time. And in every one of those areas, we ought to be asking ourselves this question, how can I better glorify God? But consider this as well. When we live as the called out, we point other people to God so that they may glorify him as well. 
Remember Matthew 5 and verse 16? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's men seeing your good works, glorifying your Father in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Peter says, Beloved, I beseech you as a sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honest among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. There's a lot to be found in those two verses. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, the word honorable means literally to be beautiful. Gentiles is a reference to non-Christians, so he's saying that your life is to be beautiful amongst those who are non-Christians. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they will observe, which more literally means scrutinize, by your good works which they will scrutinize, be able to glorify God in the day of visitation, which probably has reference to the second coming of Christ. So then the application would be this. By living New Testament Christianity in a way that is beautiful, that life is attractive to those who are in the world around us, and it may be that someone who sees the beauty of Christianity on display on a regular basis might be pushed to ask the question, what does he know or she know that I don't? How can I be like him or how can I be like her? Maybe they'll ask the question, what do I need to do in order to be a Christian? And so they're seeing your living a beautiful life as a New Testament Christian may very well lead to their being able to glorify God when the Lord returns. Our call is to be holy. Our call is to be holy so that we might glorify God. But last, one last thing about this calling is, of course, that this calling comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus calls all men to come. You remember Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon uh, you and learn of me, for I am uh, meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. Jesus calls all to come to him, and uh, he calls all to come to him through the gospel of Christ Jesus. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, the Bible tells us that we are called by the gospel. It is this message, this preaching of the cross, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, that calls men to come out of the world and to, to live lives of distinction and separation for the purpose of serving and glorifying God. Now, we know that, but here is a point of application. It is our responsibility not just to know it and not just to obey it, but to proclaim it to a lost and dying world so that they may know it and they may obey it as well. Paul discusses this in Romans chapter 10 when he asked the question, how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they be sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel, who bring glad tidings of good things to come. We have a beautiful and wonderful privilege of serving God as those who are different, as those who are holy, as those who are called out. And it is our job, as our privilege rather, as those who are the called out to be able to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world so that those who are in darkness might be able to see and come to the light. 
so that they might be able to taste the salvation of the Lord as we have, so that they might be able to know what it is to be a child of God. It is a great privilege to be a Christian, a magnificent privilege. And it is a privilege that God has extended to every single person in this world. It's a lofty task to preach, uh, to uh, evangelize and to spread the gospel throughout the world. But that task falls upon us. And God help us to do it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth. He said you are the light of the world. And he said you are a city that is set upon a hill. We live in a world that likes to ridicule and likes to persecute and likes to mock and cancel those who are different. But we ought not let that discourage us. It's easy, I think, to become discouraged when we see the wickedness of the world around us. But we shouldn't, let, we shouldn't be discouraged. But rather, we ought to count ourselves uh, privileged and we ought to rejoice because we have this great blessing of being members of the church of Jesus Christ of being part of that body of people who have been called out of the world to serve and to glorify God. That's a wonderful blessing and one for which we should thank God daily. Now, it may be tonight that there's someone here who's not yet a member of the church, who's not yet made the decision to come out of the world and to be different. We would encourage you to make that decision. The Bible says that a person must believe that Jesus is the Son of God and repent of sins and confess their faith in Christ and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of their sins. And when, a per, and when one is willing to do that, the Bible says that God will add them to the church. There's no voting that goes on. God does it himself, Acts 2 and verse 47. Maybe this evening you are a Christian, but you've not been living in the way that you ought to. You've not been pursuing holiness as you should, 2 Corinthians 7 and verse number 1, without which no man can see God, Hebrews chapter 12. Make that change. Make your life right. And if we can help you to do it, come forward and let us know while we stand and sing.